This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is part of our new Pathways campaign. What is something you used to think that you've changed your mind about? It's time for us to do that with all things learning. Previous Getting Smart campaigns have laid the groundwork of networks, place, purpose, and innovation. Our latest effort, the new Pathways campaign, will serve as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. In partnership with ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation, the new Pathways campaign will question education status quo and propose new methods of giving students a chance to experience success in what's next. Find out more at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Shawnee Carruthers. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Dave Richards, the Executive Learning Strategist for Michigan Virtual and a key part of Future of Learning Council, a partner that we've loved working alongside this last year. We're also joined by two superintendents who are part of this project, Dr. Christopher Timmis, Superintendent of Dexter Community Schools, and Dr. John Van Wagoner of Traverse City Area Public Schools. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so we're, I know we have a lot of people, so we're going to like do our best to keep everything straight, but I'm so excited to talk to you all just from the conversations we've already had. You all are so fun, and I'm really excited for our listeners to hear what you have to say. But Dave, I'm going to start with you. Uh, let's do some foundation setting. What is the future of Learning Council, and how did you get associated with it? Well, uh, the council really started, uh, John and Chris and I, and along with two or three other superintendents, started meeting in, in uh, 2017. And at the time, I was a sitting superintendent as well. And we really wanted to get together with like-minded leaders who were really pushing towards kind of a competency-based environment, but really innovative, and share best practices. And we traveled around for probably a year and a half to each other's districts. And as Chris always says, it was really who could ever buy lunch is who got to host. Um, But it really built a grassroots mindset around not waiting for somebody else to come in and help us define what learning is going to look like going forward. And so obviously then the pandemic hit. A lot of that work slowed down because everyone is just trying to deal with health and safety issues And then coming out of the pandemic, Michigan Virtual as an organization really came along beside us and gave us a home uh, to be able to host and and hold all of our meetings. And at that time, as a group, we decided let's relaunch this effort because it was so much bigger than just talking about competency-based. There were so many other aspects about learning that we needed to dig into that we decided to rebrand it and relaunch it as the Future of Learning Council. Fortunately, since October of last year, 2021, um, until now, we have grown to just about 40 school districts and ISDs that are part of this effort in the state of Michigan. And uh, Chris serves as the president of the group and John serves as the vice president of the group. And we're excited about the work that we've been doing, not only with Getting Smart, but across the state to raise awareness around how do we intentionally redesign learning to meet the needs of kids in a post-pandemic environment. Yeah, when, when we think about districts and schools, so often we think like, okay, the football teams are playing against each other and the debate teams are going head to head, but you all are truly collaborative. And so Dave, how did you go about getting all of the superintendents or the stakeholders in the space to truly collaborate to, to work on this really important goal for students? 
Well, we're fortunate that the superintendents that we do have involved um, are really people that others look to for insight on, hey, how are you solving problems? What are some of the things that you're doing? I retired in 18 as a superintendent and then really started doing a lot of this work on the side and, and keeping kind of the, the glue of it together. But it's been word of mouth where people are like, hey, I hear you guys are having a lot of great conversations. We've presented at a couple of statewide conferences and people have come in asking, how do I become a part of this work? So I think everyone's past that that why conversation and they're into the, the how and the what of saying, what do we need to do uh, coming out of this pandemic? And we know we need to create new models, but maybe we can solve some of these problems together. Yeah. And you also mentioned just the shift from moving toward just thinking about competency, which is a really great place for people to start when they think about maybe wanting to move a district in a, di in a different way. But then shifting to a more broader goal, uh, which is what the Future of Learning Council um, is all about. So how has education been reframed for Michigan students and educators as a result of that pivot? Well, I think the big shift, and I'll love to hear John and Chris's thoughts on this. I think the big shift has been really looking at instructional design and really concentrating on addressing learning rather than the structure of school. Um, especially since we've been dealing with so much of the, the pandemic and the, the threat against the system. Um, I think a lot of our leaders are really understanding that if we focus on the learning and design for learning, the structure of school will follow that. And so, John, Chris, what are your thoughts on, on that particular part of it? All right. So what I see, I, as far as the there is a sense of urgency now for districts and schools to change. There was a longing to go back to a pre-pandemic model, but even pre-pandemic, we were all talking about how the system was never designed to serve all kids and how do we create a system that does. And that, that conversation and that realization has truly accelerated through the pandemic. And as we move out, no one, we can't go back to what the system was. We all know that. It's impossible. The environment that we're in is completely different. And kids, their experiences have been different, and parents and our staff. So we know we have to create a new, some new models. We also saw that some kids did really well in the versions of school that we were just making up ad hoc. Some kids really struggled. And we saw different kids that struggled who had done well in the old system and different kids who did who really struggled in the old system start to find their groove and find success. So we all know that sense of urgency came up and leaders across the entire country. And when I talk to leaders around the world, we all know we need to do something different. So this is a group that's helping to look at how we can do it different. Yeah, John, I'll let you add to this. But as you talk about just this notion of doing things different, I also want you to touch on the amazing like mobilization work that really you had to kind of really lean into to truly make this a reality. Well, I think, you know, first and foremost is is having some networks to reach out to see who are the people that are doing this work nationally, who, you know, one of the, the things that's important to a lot of my people in the in our district is, can I maybe even go there and go and see what they're doing, especially, you know, pre-pandemic, but as we're coming, you know, to a normalcy of whatever, you know, the, the COVID normalcy is, getting an idea of what does that look like, talking with teachers that are just like our teachers, uh, administrators, just like our administrators. So they get a sense of, okay, if they can do it, we can do that. And, um, you know, reaching out to experts 
um, such as Tom Vander Ark, you know, from Getting Smart and others across the nation to say, hey, who should we go see? Who's who's talking to you the same way we're talking? And really building that network. That's what we've done. And so this past year, we had the opportunity to bring in different national experts, people that have been doing this work, can tell you the, the strengths that they've had, um, the, the, the great, you know, uh, challenges that have come with the work still, the unknown still or unresolved that they're still working on and looking to colleagues that they can work with to help them still as they're moving along the continuum of the work. So really that, that's been a, a big effort is to go literally around the state, members of our, our uh, council have, and, and to try and seek out these people, have conversations and try and bring that back to our state for people either going to the visit those or bring those people in to be able to sit down with groups of our school district leaders and and talk about and learn from and see what we can do to really move the needle. Yeah. And Chris, John was just talking about the best practice sites and just kind of fighting against this normalcy, right? How we don't want things to go back, but you also don't want to settle into like normal anymore because you all, as you've said, want to continue to push the needle and you do this through all of the different types of professional development um, that you all are doing, like you all's approach to it. So what is that approach? Can you talk more about your professional learning network? Yeah, so it's been fascinating. So we talk a lot um, amongst individual leaders on how we want to allow a level of student agency and how we want to have a clear, a clear outcome. But then maybe the path is not dictated from the start. And really how we've evolved looks a lot like that. So what we know is we want to be able to help leaders in local school districts and ISDs around the state of Michigan do a statewide lift and really change education for kids in Michigan. And what we've done is we brought people together and we kind of navigated along the way and said, well, this is what we would like to do. You're welcome to join with us. And they ask, what's the plan? We're like, well, that's what we want to do. So we're going to keep working towards the plan. And then we asked what they want to learn about. And we went through a whole list and we started this year. We, we talked a little bit and we started going down the road of micro schools. And then we started talking about some of the foundational like profile of a graduate and how you create learning continuums, et cetera. And then we really zeroed in and did a deep dive on instructional frameworks and how you take from a profile of a graduate and create an instructional framework. And what we did is we had, we started with superintendents and then they started going, can we bring our teams? So then we let them bring in their teams. So they were bringing principals and teachers and central office administrators. And it became an entire team learning together, all in different places throughout the room and throughout the state. And we've kind of doing this learn as you go, but we know that the, the final product is we want to create a new system for Michigan kids somehow. And we're all kind of growing together. And it's really been that team building model we've done on these individual teams. It's been pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think a big part of that too, Shani, has been talking with the leaders about capacity in their own mm-hmm. staff so that things don't get lost in translation when they go back to their districts. Um, and, and fortunately, the leaders who have joined are not only interested and eager even though everyone is at a different place, they understand the, the importance of developing a shared vision amongst their teams. And that's where we have a lot of hope that if we can do that vision on a statewide level, 
we have a greater opportunity to impact more kids and that every child has the opportunity to benefit from it uh, across the state of Michigan. So let's take it, let's talk about this invitational approach for a second and capacity, because you all kept it very invitational. It wasn't like, this is what Michigan's doing. Everybody has to be a part of it. Right. And so that was really useful um, in getting that buy-in. And then Dave, you just mentioned the capacity t- building is important. And then Chris, you also talked about how superintendents were saying, oh, this is great. Let me bring my own team. How how does that really happen, though? Because lots of superintendents have this thought, right, that mm-hmm. this is great. I want to be a part of something innovative. I want to bring my team along. Um, but what happens when the capacity isn't there? Like everyone's so overwhelmed. Everyone's so busy. How do you truly get those extra people at the table um, when you have all of these challenges stacked against you? Well, I could tell you one thing that really worked was providing providing a deep learning experience that people didn't want to opt out of. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be part of. So we, uh, we connected with some real great thought leaders around the country, had them facilitate some deep conversations. At one point we connected with getting smart mm-hmm. and really brought, I wrote, shout out to Rebecca middles. I mean, the work she did, we said we wanted to do this. We then started pulling more in and they kept going, can we do another one and focus on this part and we purposefully designed those sessions so that any district, wherever they were at, their team could make progress. Was that your experience as well, John? Was that your 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 insight? Yeah, I mean, definitely having you know those um, experts come in, you know, was powerful, uh, and and people were really engaged, you know, to a point that you know, I haven't seen in quite a while, and mm-hmm. and you know, I, I guess that coming out of the pandemic, for sure, that there was a hunger, if you will, for that. But even beyond that, you know, we just, um, unfortunately, with a lot of different reasons and resources, you know, we are, we don't get a lot um, of those opportunities to get people from especially national, um, either think tanks mm-hmm. or, or leaders from other schools. We don't get to come into our state very often. We just, we haven't been fortunate to have some of the large funders um that, you know, do a large grants or, or, or to win many of the national, you know, um, federal grants, to, you know, race to the top, whatever those things were, you know, grants. Um, and so this was an opportunity for us to really bring some of the best of the best in. And uh, I think our people really responded with intrigue and wonder and want to, you know, be recognized as the people that are, are trying to move education for the better for all of our kids here in Michigan. And I really think that a big part of it was um, we were using terms like mobility and flexibility to design rather than talking about seat time and how we're going to fit the model, you know, and get learning to cram it back into that box. And, you know, society, we've said this a lot, society has a very different ask, especially coming out of the pandemic. They have seen, parents especially have seen that we can create flexible learning environments. They don't want to go back to just a traditional setting necessarily. They want to be able to pick and choose. And that's where the pathways, the micro schools, all of these other things that kids are going, you know, student engagement is a huge piece of how do you design forward for student engagement and create experiences for kids. Uh, one of the, the things you just mentioned in that flexibilities was micro schools. Um, mm-hmm. Chris and John, I'm wondering, what is, can you tell us a bit about your approach to micro schools? 
Yeah, I can talk about that. Uh, I think that we've learned a lot over the past, I'd say, five years about when we create flexible learning environments, not to not to create something to create just another box that, you know, that students have to live in, but how can we really create flexibility? And I think one of the things we've learned in, in watching a, a lot of other districts that have been successful and those that maybe have struggled is making sure that we don't talk about maybe the traditional way as wrong or bad, but offering different options that work for kids. You know, there, there are some kids that the traditional model we have worked for. Definitely not all and not sure about how many. But we do know that there are many other modes of learning that kids do learn in and, and enjoy and are engaged more in, whether that be project-based learning, whether that be um, some type of uh, involved in career and tech ed. Um, it could be that college prep track that I talked about. There's lots of different ways. And so how can we create different ways and different models for students to have and can we look at really start to look at pathways and what they're maybe they're they're wondering about for a career and try and make some real relevant uh, offerings and and making it to where they they see um, a pathway for them maybe for a career in the future. So how can we look at those passions and things they have to have a trek for them to do that? It just kind of reminds me of a, a colleague that we had early on in this work made the statement that you know if you have three kids and one scores a perfect SAT or ACT, another student um, is a great dancer and gets an automatic entry into Juilliard School. And then if you have a welder that just does an unbelievable welding project and takes first place in a, in a regional art prize competition, to ask your question, which kid is smarter? Mm. And really, it's, it's, it's a false question. You know, they're all smart. They're all very talented. But can you create a pathway for each one of those kids for them to be able to take in those passions, put it towards what we need to have them know from the content standpoint, but how can we connect that to those relevant opportunities? So here in Traverse City, that's really right now what we're trying to look at is can we create those pathways and embed some of those other content things cross-curricular so that they have that within that passion area they want to work on and have that move forward to whatever their post-secondary opportunities are. So speaking of micro schools and then John kind of led into pathways, a lot of the work we've been doing in Dexter over the years has been supported by the FLC work is just navigating how, how you would start something that was very different for kids and get enough students to get it off the ground and support. Uh, we've been going down pathways and we're still, we're just starting to finally get to the high school level, but we've been going down this road of, basically three different pathways, but two are pretty well developed now and one more that's taken shape. And they're, they're really interesting metaphors. So like our current model of school, we just say it's a racetrack metaphor. Um, it's be like everyone else, just better. So that's our current model. And then we've been doing, uh, we're part of Summit Learning and we, uh, we say it's more like a model train mm -hmm. that you help every student lead a fulfilled life. You give some individualization and some choice. And then we started, and this has been fascinating. So we brought Michael Horn in for um, to come talk with the group. And he talked about these research and development groups. And we did that in Dexter and created what we call Spark, which we joke, we call it the road trip, that enjoy the road trip. Everyone has something valuable to add to society and that our collective potential lies in nurturing our individuality. So it, the journey just 
you know where you need to get or you might want to get and you just embrace the road trip. And uh, that's kind of what we've been doing with the FLC work is embracing the road trip and allowing every group or every district to kind of figure out where their road trip's starting and start to picture where they want to end. Chris, you mentioned a fulfilled life, and this can be for anyone. David, John, feel free to answer. But how do you help students define what that is? Because Light Pathways, it's so different for everyone. How do you get to that definition? I'm going to defer to Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, first and foremost, I think the, the biggest challenge is knowing the students at a deeper level, you know, getting them actively engaged. And everyone talks about agency, Shawnee. A lot of people like to throw it around, but until you really get to the place where kids have a voice and they're learning and they understand where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, as Chris mentioned, John talked about passions. Um, it's really difficult to try to design and personalize learning um, without uh, using that, that term in the wrong way. And so I, I think getting to the place where kids understand what they know, what they want to learn about, what they're passionate about. Um, I think Cajon Valley is a great example out in San Diego, where by the time a child goes from kindergarten to eighth grade, I think they experience 52 different careers and have a chance to sample a lot of different experiences along that way. Um, that's a great way to get to know the kid and have the kid get to know themselves, that self-awareness. Um, and then obviously having the opportunity, once they do discover, do we have the opportunities to allow them to fulfill some of their passions and learning. Yeah, we were looking at, and the, really the pandemic changed our work on this, but we started thinking about it during the beginning of the pandemic. Todd Rose wrote that book, uh, Dark Horse, and in his book, he talks about micromotives. And when you want to find out for kids' passions, he's just trying to help them understand their micromotives. And we spent some work with adults trying to figure out what our micromotives are. Why do we enjoy and feel fulfilled in certain aspects of our lives? And why do we not enjoy others? So how to flush that out, still a work in progress. I'd love to see a really flushed out model, but just figuring out what it is about activities and about career interest or just life in general that really are the things for individual kids and adults that they truly, that's why they enjoy it. John, I really want to unpack it just a little bit more on how you build them. We've heard some great clues about getting to know the students on a deeper level Make sure that they're sampling experiences. Dave gave us a great Cajon example. Um, Chris was just talking about understanding the micromotives. But how else? How do we how do we build pathways in a very intentional way that not only do students understand them, but both the parents and the community also finds value in what you all are trying to do for students? Well, I think definitely, you know, the more opportunities like El Cajon and others that you do that internship and and uh, just job experience, job shadowing, those kind of things are great. Um, and, you know, and sometimes, honestly, it takes time for kids to maybe figure that out. So one of the things that we feel really strongly about is that we don't lock a kid into a pathway. That they, they very well may, we, while we have them, it's really important that we have kids to be able to cross in between and over them if they have a passion area in another. And, and we've had a lot of talk about that, that we want to be careful not to, you know, quote unquote, track kids. Um, we really want to make sure that um, they have those opportunities in another area. Just because maybe they're a great um, musician doesn't mean they also want to be in robotics. 
you know, and, and, and what we've learned is they also have friend groups that are across those different curricular areas as well. So to say, sorry, you only have to stay in the quote unquote B wing of the school and only with, you know, the, the, the kids that are in our visual arts program, many kids really fight back on that idea. They're like, no, I, I can do this and have friends that I see over here too. And I have this other passion outside of that passion and I don't want to be penciled, you know, or penciled into it or, or, uh, you know, created into a, a widget, if you will. So really trying to make sure that you have that broad experience across for kids to have that many kids love about school, but also letting kids drill deeper into an area that they want to or areas. I mean, we've talked about that. Pathway doesn't mean one necessarily. You know, how, how you know, how is it that maybe we have a, um, you know, a component of competency-based learning where they're doing something over here, you know, in, in that way, but maybe they're in a traditional class over here that they like. And so, you know, I think that um, giving kids just opportunities to experience um, things on a real level versus, um, you know, here's a, a small uh, pamphlet, you know, that talks about becoming a welder. You know, I think it's getting out there and actually seeing what welders do, what kind of money they make or, you know, and, and, and the different types, you know, if you want to be a marine welder for kids that really like water, like we tend to hear in Traverse City being right on the Great Lakes, you know, we have kids that, oh, I, I never knew that it meant that I could be a scuba diver as well as, you know, I'm doing underwater welding and making a six-figure income. They may think of only that as an assembly line that we tend to see in maybe a, you know, old, dirty environment like we see in these pictures from the Industrial Revolution, and it's far from that. And so finding ways to just create those relevant opportunities for kids, continuing then and not, you know, keeping them in a tracked way, I think is a really, really important part um, to this work that we can't lose sight of. Because if we do, there, you know, we, we may have a kid lose interest and then where are they at? Yeah, it's apparent that the community, it's apparent that the community involvement is necessary um, I know an another necessary component is, I'm sure, like support and guidance, really working with the adults in the building or outside of the building or in the out-of-school spaces um, that really provide like great resources and support for their students as they navigate. How do you all handle that or how do you all build those supports um, into your pathways so that students know who they can go to or who they can uh, reach out to if they're struggling or ask questions to, et cetera. Yeah, we have a pretty strong mentoring program we've been putting in place where the uh, students have one-on-one -on -one time with a mentor. Um, we've developed it. The, we do use the system of graduation coaches and success coaches that we're still flushing out on what that would look like at the secondary with pathways. But, there are lots of examples out there, and I think they're, none of them are quite perfect, but there's a lot of ways to do it. Part of it, part of the challenge for schools, and this is where the Future Learning Council conversations really make sense, is how do you approach school different, kind of like the healthcare field had to, where, I mean, we have teachers and we have paraprofessionals, we have principals. How do you create other types of roles and relationships within the school staffing structure to support whatever the new models need to look like. 
And Dave, in the during the future of council uh, learning council um, professional development, how do you how do you touch on that? How do you build that community community within yeah. that group to let it? Well, I think one of the the big things that we've tried to do all the way through is really talk about communication. How do you tell this story? And we will actually try to role play a little bit with the leaders and say, okay, what's perception going to be? Right, everyone's perception is their reality until you show them evidence that maybe something is a little bit different. Getting that relationship piece first and foremost out, especially with classroom teachers, they have so much more relationship and trust with parents than I would as a superintendent. So do the teachers understand it? What are they saying about what the initiative is and what we're trying to do? And can they articulate it not only to the kids, but also to to the parents that they may come into contact with? So the shared vision is a big one, communicating it. How are you telling your story? How are you staying on message about the importance and the opportunity for every child? And then I think the other piece that's really powerful that we're seeing even with our districts is allowing people to opt in. Mm -hmm. Power of choice when they're not being forced into a model, but they can choose, is this the right fit for my kid? Then all of a sudden, I think their perception as a parent is, you really do care about my kid. You really are trying to create an opportunity for my child. That means you know my child. Okay, I'm on board. Yeah. And then the sense of community, I think, really grows um, as well. And not feeling like you have to do it K-12 right off the bat. And that's where the pathways in the micro schools, I think, are going to get a lot of traction in the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. John, we've talked a lot about agency and opting in, not only for parents and students, but for superintendents and other leaders within the FLC. As you think about the FLC and the Future of Learning Council, how has this organization helped you grow your practice and leadership? Because you decided to opt in to this. So how have you been affected? You know, really important because I am in a, a an interesting kind of part of the state of Michigan that um, I'm in a relatively rural area. I'm in northern Michigan. Um, when I kind of started down this venture, I was in another district. I was in Alpena, um, which is still up in northern Michigan, but on the uh, east coast of, of northern Michigan on Lake Huron. And then now I'm and that was a district of 3,800, which is the second largest district in northern Michigan. Um, but now I'm in Traverse City, which is the largest of over 9,000 students, um, 275 square miles in northern Michigan on the northwest side. And so looking for a district that's any near our size, neither, neither district I was at, I was two and a half to three hours away from anybody that had any remote understanding of the realities that I go through and not, and that's not any kind of condescending comment on a small district. They have all of their own different uniquenesses and challenges and wearing many hats and hard jobs as well. Um, But this gave me an opportunity to meet with superintendents and districts like mine, or at least challenges and things that was like my thinking. Um, So when I talked about competency-based education, they knew what I was talking about. If I talked about project-based learning, like, oh, yeah, we've experienced that. We have a school that's doing this or that. And so it gave, you know, the the chance for a group of colleagues to be able to sit down in a safe space because the reality is, you know, it, it's, it's more dangerous to be an innovative superintendent than it is to just be a part of the status quo, just a reality of 
you know, it's hard enough of target on your back in this job of the two to three year lifespan that many of us, you know, last. But to have some colleagues that are there and thinking and wanting to do the same as you, sometimes that's a real help when you sit and talk to your board about, oh, you know, let's talk about if this is a Dexter or when Dave was at Frazier or Celine or wherever any of uh, Barrier Springs, wherever any of our partners have been at, to be able to say, I'm not the only one, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, alone in this venture and what we think was really, really powerful and really needed because they do think um, having some support, they say, you know, a presentation a long time ago at our superintendent's conference here is welcome to the superintendency population of one. Yeah. And that's the way you feel. You're, there's nobody in your district that understands what you're thinking or trying to do. So having that light group of like-minded superintendents and first-line administrators um, to be able to talk to every month and bounce those ideas has been huge for me. Um, really, you know, since we started this and, and really started it solely for that purpose in the first mm-hmm. place. What about you, Chris? Yeah, so for myself, it's been a great opportunity to bring our team along. Um, we've seen through the through the pandemic, we saw a number of retirements. So we've had new members of our teams coming in. Um, it's been an opportunity to pick brains from around the state and around the country. Uh, the nice thing is for personal growth, I've, this is year 15 as a superintendent. I led a pretty uh, a high poverty district in the back in the race to the top era mm-hmm. with six funds and then and was able to do some things pretty rat, radical and fast because we had no choice and now I'm in a pretty affluent district and trying to make that jump from good to great mm-hmm. and um, we are it's taken me over the years to adjust my my leadership style and uh in the last year, I can say that I learned a lot, and I've started this year completely different than in the past and uh, from things I've learned, and that's what we want from all our leaders. We want to build capacity in them as individuals and within their teams, and our team has more capacity, so now i got to do things a little different. Yeah, and Dave, we're not letting you off the hook here. Even though you are a retired superintendent, you're still working right alongside them in the trenches doing the hard work. Um, so how have you been able to truly provide the, the support needed to, to continue to push education forward in Michigan? Well, first, I would just say my personal drive, personal mission has been knowing what they're going through each and every day, especially with the pandemic. It's really been how can I help and how can I help support the work that they're doing? If that's, you know, handling administrative tasks for this group to keep it going or if it's being a thought partner with them, that's been number one, because I know the work that they're trying to do is to really get every child into a position to be successful. So it's very mission driven, you know, for me. And then um, I really have a heart for the state. I mean, we, we joke that we're kind of a flyover state. Not a lot of people stop in Michigan that are doing the national conversations. We want to change that. We want Michigan to be a destination for all things learning and innovation. And so how do we get the best thinkers in the room and the the people that are are doers of the work and then build capacity? And whatever I can do to help with that has really been the goal. Well, I appreciate having the best three best thinkers in the room with me today. Thank you all for joining us on the Getting Smart podcast. And 
And I really appreciate the way that you are really living to the mission of the Future of Learning Council, which is every child, every day. And every thank you child. for sharing how you all are making that a priority. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for the time. Thank you for listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. The New Pathways campaign serves as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. The New Pathways campaign will showcase how learners can shine as difference makers and learning curators when opportunities are intentional, equitable, and personalized. Find out more about New Pathways at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. Thanks to ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation for their support in this campaign. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 